Hello racing fans, this is Edison Hatter back with another episode of First Over with Edison Hatter. This to discuss another big night of racing at Woodbine Mohawk. It'll be this coming Saturday, September the 25th, 2021. It's Mohawk Million Night 2021. But to help me break down this card, I'm glad to be joined by the voice of the Meadowlands, Ken Warkington. Ken, welcome to the show. Glad to be with you, and uh, it's certainly an exciting weekend coming up at uh, Mohawk, uh, Woodbine Entertainment, Woodbine at Mohawk Park. I believe it's the richest night of racing there. May very well be. They've had some big nights here in a row, of course, with North America Cup a couple weekends ago, the Canadian Trotting Classic the week after, and obviously you and I were watching these races from the Meadowlands, and of course this coming Saturday with the Mohawk Million, but Ken, let's talk a little bit about your background. Um, Of course, fans know you right now as the voice of the Meadowlands. You've been there for quite some time, but take us way back. How did you start in this industry? Uh, Well, I bumped into a guy in high school who was interested in the business. Uh, He was uh, grooming horses on the side on the weekends, uh, and uh, I kind of got involved that way. And also as a a racing fan, uh, some neighbors of mine decided uh, through some connections that they were going to venture to the racetrack and uh, try to make a few bucks and see what it was all about. And uh, I followed them a couple of times and kind of got interested more as a fan that way. And then later on, uh, when I went to high school, this uh, buddy of mine, who uh, unfortunately eventually passed away, uh, he uh, got involved as a a trainer and a driver as well. Uh, So I got more involved that way as well. But I always wanted to be a play-by-play guy, probably hockey. Uh, Growing up, hockey was the big thing for me. And... uh, uh, I eventually just migrated. Uh, I didn't live too far away from Greenwood Racetrack in Toronto, in the east end of Toronto. So uh, I went to all the, the smaller tracks as well. I went to Mohawk. Uh, Garden City Raceway was part of that Golden Horseshoe Circuit at one time. Um, so we went on many adventures and uh, it kind of just the interest kind of uh, grew from there. So again, I guess we kind of neglected to mention you kind of hinted at it in there. So you actually grew up near Toronto. Um, so what ended up getting you down here to the States? Well, I worked at, uh, I eventually, you know, got jobs at some of the smaller tracks and uh, a full-time job uh, pretty much out of college. I went from a radio station job to uh, the track announcer job at Flamborough Downs. I was there for eight years approximately. Uh, and a job came open as a publicity director at Northfield Park in Ohio. Uh, I accepted that job. Did a little announcing there, and by coincidence, about a year later, uh, the job or position came open at uh, at the Meadowlands when Tom Durkin accepted a position at Naira, and so I went down there and auditioned. And a few weeks later, I was uh, backing up uh, John Bothy. And so, obviously, you've been at the Meadowlands there ever since. Um, just talk a little bit on your time at the Meadowlands and, and how you've enjoyed enjoyed the job there. Well, that that was 1991, so it's been 30 years. Uh, it was 30 years this past May, and it's gone by very, very quickly. And uh, I've been just fortunate to work with some great, great people, very knowledgeable, passionate people, talented people, uh, you know, people like Bob Hollywood Hayden, uh, Sam McKee, of course, the late, great Sam McKee, and on and on and on. Uh, Gary Seibel, I had a chance to do a, a series with him and cover a lot of the big races like the Little Brown Jug on ESPN. Um, and I've just had some great opportunities and some spinoff gigs as well, uh, doing voiceovers. I have a, a voiceover studio in my home. I've been doing that for about 25 years. Um, and uh, 
uh, I've had a, a great opportunity to see great races and great horses at the top level of the sport. And I never take that for granted. Uh, and as long as they allow me in the door, I'm going to give it the best I can. And uh, obviously, I'm on the back nine. But uh, it's still a lot of fun for me. So, Ken, you've obviously, in your time at the Meadowlands, called some not only great horses, great drivers, great trainers, but obviously some monumental races, obviously many Hamiltonians, some Meadowlands paces, um, and lots of other stakes races in there as well, especially that Hamiltonian card in general. Um, what, what, do you, what kind of emotions do you feel as you go into, I mean, are they different now than what you experienced maybe 20 years ago when you go into calling a Hamiltonian? I mean, what do you feel during these big races? Yes, that's a good question because now it's, it's the same excitement and, and buildup uh, but uh, right now, you know, being in the stage of my career where I am, it's it's almost kind of uh, not a sadness or a melancholy, but you 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 go in wondering, is this going to be one of the last ones? You know, how many are left? That kind of thing. You got, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, you weren't thinking that way. You were just, you know, going in there and having fun and, and, and life was going to be forever. And we all know it's not. And uh, uh, we just try to savor it a little bit more uh, right now. So I've had some other announcers on the show, and, and I haven't had the opportunity to be in their booths, but of course, myself, having called some baby races this summer, I have been in your booth, but um, is there anything in particular unique you think about your booth or any bad angles or anything in particular you think makes your job a little more interesting? Not really. Uh, there's a couple of things, maybe the, uh, the we're right, right not right on the wire. We're not exactly on the wire. Uh, I gave up trying to call photo finishes uh, many, many years ago <laughs> anyway. And uh, why not prolong the uh, the excitement, right? And uh, the top of the stretch, of course, is the key point of any race. And, and at the Meadowlands, you have to kind of take your eyes off the uh, that the race at that point just for a few seconds to check the three-quarter time. And uh, sometimes, and it, it doesn't happen very often, but you'll you know you'll look back and something you know something happened. Uh, a horse broke or went inside the pylons or something or blew the turn or or whatever. Uh, and uh, all we need to do is go back to this year's Meadowlands pace, and we all know what happened there at the top of the stretch. So, uh, yeah, but other than that, it's a pretty, uh, pretty, you get pretty good sight lines there. So talking about this year's Meadowlands pace night, you bring me to another interesting question I'll ask. So, um, of course, that night was pretty rainy. I don't think there's any terrible conditions, but obviously you've had um, a long time there in that booth, so we can ask, has there been any particular nights that were particularly difficult to call? I know this past February was really foggy, but any other particularly difficult conditions? I would just say the fog. Yeah, I, I, nobody, want, nobody likes the fog. Uh, it's, it's not good uh, in terms of safety for the participants on the track. And of course, uh, you know, anytime there's lightning and storms and that sort of thing, snowstorms, uh, anytime it's slippery out there, uh, you know, the safety of the participants is, is paramount. And uh, we all know that, uh, but I really, really detest the fog. <laughs> so do you recall on that fog night this year, were you essentially calling off of the monitor? Were you trying to still use the binoculars, a little bit of both? <laughs> uh, was, well, back in the, you know, it's funny, back in the old grandstand, the the uh, starter followed them around and he called the top four into a speakerphone that I was able to hear in the judges uh, stand next to me. And I would just simply repeat those numbers, or I would just call the numbers that were down on the screen uh, that the placing judge was uh, putting up on the screen. 
So there's some tricks. And of course, the, the, the guys in TV are just, uh, you know, that's, those are other great people that we've worked with, uh, Meadowlands TV. They're just amazing, talented people. Uh, they have the tower shots uh, that they can show. Uh, that get a maybe a closer view of the field, and and you know you're you're kind of going off the monitor uh, a lot more than you are because you can't see them through the binoculars uh, or with the naked eye. But I don't like I det- that's another thing I detest is calling a race off a monitor or a TV. You have to look at the race. Yeah, I know we've talked about that in the past too, and then I definitely uh, try to do that as much as I can at both Freehold and Rosecroft, and of course whenever I get a chance to call it the Meadowlands for sure. Um, but it definitely is difficult to call off of a monitor and you also do mention our tv people definitely um when we talk about underappreciated jobs at the racetrack the camera t- uh, operators definitely on that list especially the ones um obviously the guys that uh, tom and greg that hang with us upstairs in the press box uh, get the nice conditions but you know i'm thinking towards michael and some of the guys got to be outside all the time weathering the conditions to get the right shots and everything definitely they deserve their um credit for the work that they do but Ken, uh, next up, I feel like every guest lately, I think this is going to become a new segment on this show, is called Asking My Guests a Handicapping Question. And for you, we will ask, since you get to do this a lot at the Meadowlands, you have to look at horses that are coming from, say, Yonkers or Freehold that might be going from the half-mile track to the mile track. So how do you determine how well they may like or dislike the bigger track? Well, it does come down to uh, condition or form and class. And uh, as far as Yonkers to Meadowlands is concerned, if the horse hasn't had any sort of a history at the Meadowlands, it's just downright difficult. It's hard to calibrate or, or to, to grade or gauge a horse how they're going to trans, uh, transform that uh, their current form on the mile track. Are they a mile track type of horse? Uh, so it's difficult. It's, it's really hard to do. Uh, I go by the class. I go by the current form. I look at their, the final halves. I look at uh, uh, any sort, sort of uh, sharp moves that they've made. And, uh, you know, you look at the barns as well. Uh, you know, it's a big trainer's game these days. Uh, why is he bringing the horse here? Uh, that sort of thing. Uh, there's some other minor things. And I look at the win percentage as well. Uh, is a horse a one for 32 uh, on the season? That sort of thing. Uh, but mostly, uh, it seems that the the Yonkers horses are comparable to the Meadowlands horses. Horses coming from, say, Freehold, Monticello, uh, Saratoga, and so on. I, I don't really. Uh, I, I'm going to reserve my judgment. I don't. I don't think I'm going to be uh, considering those horses as strongly as I would Yonkers horses. Now, also, kind of going with the idea of the small track versus the big track. You know, it seems like in racing in both thoroughbreds and harnesses for that matter sometimes there's kind of an overemphasis on time and sometimes an underemphasis on time but when you're handicapping ken especially for the meadowlands do you really consider at all how fast or how slow a horse has gone on the yonkers track per se on the half mile track versus some of the horses that have been staying at the meadowlands is time really a factor at all to you when you consider small track big track or not really it's not a big factor. No, it's not a really big factor. It's it, it's the timing of certain moves that I'll look at, uh, quarters and halves, last half being the best. Uh, it's just the way that races are run at, at Yonkers where they, you know, they go like hell in the first quarter and then there's a big breather and then they sprint home. So you've, you've got to watch if a horse made up ground and uh, how much ground he made up and, and in what time. But the, the finishing times are, are, are very hard to... Uh, you know, I, I don't put a lot of uh, a lot of weight in the finishing times. Any any time, even at the Meadowlands. 
Well, Ken, that's some good handicapping information you gave out there. And, and to our listeners that were listening yesterday, the only other piece that I'll throw in there is, is you gave some good information for horses that don't have experience on the bigger tracks. But as Garnett was mentioning last night with the rail horse in that first race on Friday night, you're looking at a horse that has been at Grand River, showed no form there, came to the Meadowlands back in April, so this is well outside the program pages, ends up winning right down the highway, and then he's gone back to Grand River, has done a whole bunch of nothing there, and now he comes back to Wood by Mohawk this Friday and even a lower class than when that last effort was. So those kind of horses with experience on that track, especially if it's kind of hidden in the past performance program, definitely are the kind of horses to bet when they come back to that track that they appear to like, the bigger track. Um, but with that, Ken, we will get into some handicapping of our own as we'll talk about this early pick five sequence first. Then we'll cover some of these featured races on this Mohawk Million card. It's a 12-race program coming up this Saturday. And as always, that $100,000 guaranteed pick five gets started in race one. Races one, two, three, four, and five. It's a 20-cent base wager. Race one is for non-winners of 8,500 in their last five starts or non-winners of 17,000 in their last 10 starts on the pace for 16,000. And Ken, you just used two in here. Yep, just two. I started with the two. Uh, he's Swift, this uh, four-year-old here with Jonathan Drury driving for Carmen Osiello. Uh Drops in class. He draws inside, and he's very, very strong in the win column. Five for 20 uh, this season. The four, Hill Christian gets Andrew McCarthy again for uh, Tony O'Sullivan. This one fresh off a narrow loss as the beaten even money favorite. I like that angle. Uh, he also remains at a reduced level, and he draws well. So it's 2-4 in the first. For me, it's one, two, four, and seven. So I do use your two and four for much of the same reasons that you do. The one beach and Lindy, fifteen to one on the morning line. I'm going to throw a big price in there. Some major, major post relief. His last four, he's had post seven, post seven, post ten, and post eight. But there's a couple okay efforts in there against non-winners of five thousand. And at this level, um, three starts back with a second place finish, beaten only by a neck at a big number. So he figures to be a big price again. We'll throw him in. The seven, Reagan Blue Chip, again, I thought put in a pretty good effort from post nine at this level last time out, finishing sixth, beaten by less than three lengths. Gets post seven tonight a little bit better. So one, two, four, and seven for me in race one. Race two, Phillies and Mares, non-winners of 15,000 in their last five starts or non-winners of 28,000 in their last 10 starts on the pace for 24,000. And you're going a little deeper in here, Ken. Yeah, I think you have to use the one, four, and five here. The one kicking cowgirl took a mark of 150 and three. That was two starts back. At Mohawk, she's in good form. Comes off a six scratch, though. Uh, draws the rail. Richard Moreau, the trainer. Sylvain Fillion drives. The four, Laura's Love. This one dropped in class and popped with a big rally from a tough spot. 26-2 and two home. Looks like she's ramping up for a strong fall campaign. And the five, Snow Shark, has been very competitive against better mares. And this is a class drop you certainly can't ignore for the uh, Collins. Travis Collins driving. One, four, five. Well, for me, this was a race that I just want to get alive to, no matter who wins. So I end up using the one, two, three, four, and five. I'm taking five of the eight in here. So in addition to your one, four, and five, I'll use the two and the three, the two Salzbrook Jesse. This goes back to our handicapping question. Had some wins at Flamborough and Georgian, so the five eighths track and the half mile track. So coming to the seven eighths track here at Mohawk, we'll see how well she takes to the surface. And if she does well, she definitely could be in with some wins. She has won some preferred events on those smaller tracks. And the three, Treacherous Rain, picks up Dexter Dunn. Two starts back, or well, most recent start before the qualifying effort. Had the lead through three quarters. Had some issues in the stretch. Finished with broken equipment. Took money at this level that day at three to one. Came back with a good-looking qualifier. Came home in 26-1. and one. 
So while she hasn't raced for a month, she does, again, get Dexter done, and I'll throw her in as well. So one, two, three, four, and five for me here in race two. Race three, this gets us into our big stakes action on the card. It's the Milton Pace final for the Phillies and Mares, three-year-olds and older. It's on the pace for $240,000. And Ken, just two in here for you. Yeah, I think the only two that can win, uh, logically, uh, we'll see. The two JK first lady for the slight upset here, the world champion, 147-4. Looks poised, making her third start off the bench here for Team Tactor, Dexter Dunn. And the three, Lion Sentinel, the division standout who goes for six in a row. She's clearly the one to beat. For me, I'm going to take a single in here with Lion Sentinel. You know, I was determined to beat her this summer at the Meadowlands on our show and, and trying to pick against her. And it hasn't worked for me there very well. And, you know, she's now raced twice here with my Mohawk. And I haven't picked against her yet. So, you know what? She's two for two. Let's just keep it rolling. We'll make it three for three for her with my Mohawk this coming Saturday. So, Lion Sentinel, my single in the sequence in race three. Race four, this is the Simcoe for $157,975 on the trot. It's a three-year-old open, a field of eight, and you're using three in here. Yeah, I think you got to. Uh, it, it's a it's a race that's kind of ripe for an upset, but I got one, three, four, one Ritson, and you got to love his huge rally from post 10 to grab second in the good times final. Uh, the three on the streak. Now, he makes his fourth start on the comeback trail this fall. He lands in a wide-open field. He's got plenty of class, and he's got an engine. Let's see if he can put it all together. Luke Blaze has three in here. Uh, the four, Locatelli, a good times elimination winner. Now, he got roughed up in the good times final. He's got a big chance to rebound for Team Tactor and Andrew McCarthy. So it's a 1-3-4. Yeah, Locatelli um, had a really tough trip there in a good times final, but I still thought raced okay. So that is my top selection in here. But I also am right with you. I use the one the three, and the four. But before we turn the page on this race, let's talk a little about the eight spy booth. That's another one of the horses favored on the morning line. He had a really tough trip in that Canadian Trotting Classic. Of course, when you got to call the Hamiltonian this year, right behind Captain Corey, spy booth was second. So um, what do you think of his chances in here? Yeah, I think you've spotted a pretty good one there. That was a very good second at 55-1 to one in the Hamiltonian. And he won a swag. Uh, he won the swag 52-3. and three. Uh, then got some freshening, qualified with some vigor, uh, really just kind of took a tour of the track uh, in the uh, Canadian Trotting Classic from post seven. Uh, but there was obviously something not right uh, that night. He, he trotted home in 33 seconds, 157 and two, and he draws outside. So I can't put everybody on the ticket. I left him out. Yeah, I did as well. In fact, I um, talking on TVG last week. They, they was me back and forth with a couple of the hosts. We were talking about that Canadian Trotting Classic, and I actually picked Spy Booth um, to beat a hundred dollar bill. And of course, hundred dollar bill ends up winning. Um, so hopefully, I won't uh, regret not using him this week. But uh, speaking real quick, we'll just acknowledge it as we're talking about that Hamiltonian final. We'll wish the best of, of wishes to the connections of Captain Corey. Heard that he is injured and will miss the rest of his three year old season. Um, so hopefully, we will get a happy a healthy four-year-old Captain Corey back next year, um, back onto the track. Absolutely. Uh, you know, he was outstanding in the Hamiltonian. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it sounds to me like it's just a, like a hoof injury. And uh, it sounds like he will be back uh, for a, a Team Sponsted. And we look forward to that, as you point out. Most certainly something to look forward to for next year. So race five here to close out this pick five sequence. This is on the pace for 20,000 non-winners of 11,000 in their last five starts or non-winners of 22,500 in their last 10 starts. And you're going deep here to close it out. Yeah, you can throw a dart at this field. 
I went two, four, seven, eight, two Pirate Hanover, uh, runner-up to a buck a bet Hanover in the Simcoe. He's a three-year-old against older horses here. Draws an improved post for Richard Moreau, Jody Jameson driving. Uh, the four Wild River Bumblebee. This is uh, kind of the wild card in here. He flashed some late life from far back, 26-2 and two after winning easily. So he's in good form. He draws better. Maybe we get a price there. Louis-Philippe Bois. Seven, Groovy Joe. He was a well, well-rated winner two starts back. He drops back down in class and or reunited with James McDonald. And the uh, just for a price here and a closer, Yachts Sealster. If uh, the front end, if we get some hijinks here, he closed from the clouds to hit the board and has a chance to surprise them with the right setup. So it's two, four, seven, eight. I'll go a little thinner than you hear. I'm just using the two and the four. I really like the two Pirate Hanover. Um, the race down at our place, down at the Meadowlands on July the 30th. I thought that was when he kind of really started to turn things around. That was an impressive win that night with Andy McCarthy. And since then, has been trying much tougher. The Connections took on some stakes events up there at Mohawk. So now down to this conditioned level again. I like him on top, but I also do use the four Wild River Bumblebee. That was an impressive, probably about a 53-second back half or so from post 10. Was 13 lengths out of it at the half mile and only ended up losing by two and a half at this level last time out. Um, So for me, it's the two and the four here to close out this early pick five. So to recap our tickets for Ken Warkington, it is two, four with one, four, five with two, three with one, three, four with two, four, seven, eight. That's $28 and 80 cents. And for me, it's one, two, four, seven with one, two, three, four, five with three with one, three, four with two, four. And that is a $24 play. So next, Ken, we'll take a look at some of these featured races on this Mohawk Million program. And, of course, that will include talking eventually here about race nine, the Mohawk Million. But we'll start it off with race six. That's on the pace for $500,500. It's the She's a Great Lady final for the two-year-old Phillies. And it's a field of 10 with one also eligible. And how do you see this race shaking out? We have two undefeateds. Prohibition Legal and Nikki Hill getting ready to square off. Yeah, undefeated favorites who won both eliminations, setting up this uh, classic uh, marquee matchup uh, in race six. Uh, Prohibition Legal, the big Jim Philly, overcame post eight to score with a new mark of 152 as the six to five choice. You had Joyride Hanover, who caught my eye, flew home for second. And uh, that one followed by Queen of Success and Treacherous Kiss. So winning driver James McDonald said, Prohibition legal. She can go wherever you want. She tends to relax on the lead, always waits on them. But when he called on her, she opened up and had more in the tank. Trained by Nick Gallucci for Miller Farms and Prohibition Legals, undefeated six for six. She's been a star in Ontario Sire Sticks, also won a division of the Eternal Cam Nation. And then you have Nikki Hill just rolled to a 150 and two sparkler for Dexter Dunn. Daughter of Always Be Mickey, who kicked home in 26-3 and three on cruise control, beating Boudoir, Hanover, Balance, Just Divine, and Smuggled Tina. Dexter Dunn said simply she's putting every foot forward in the right place. She's got some power. He was just a passenger. She's doing it easily. And uh, that was her first start at Mohawk, by the way. Trained by Chris Ryder for owner Tom Hill. She's undefeated 4-4. Four four. She won a Pennsylvania Sire Stakes division. Two divisions of the kindergarten here at the Meadowlands. And earlier this year, Ryder had to retire world champion party girl Hill due to injury after an outstanding three-year-old season. So maybe this is some deja vu for him. So it's Nikki Hill. She could be the party Hill or party girl Hill revisited for Dexter Dunn and Chris Ryder, the sister to world champion Cattle Wash, 
flaunting her pedigree and looks like the real deal. Prohibition legal, the big Jim Philly from the strong maternal family has been flawless so far. She faces a serious uh, test here against Nikki Hill. And we'll add the one boudoir Hanover. Captain Treacherous Philly here, second to Nikki Hill last week and on the board in six of seven. Very consistent performer. Uh, has the rail, Todd McCarthy. And that one uh, leads a strong one-two punch for Tony Alanya. So it's a 5-3-1. Well, it's some really good information there from Ken Warrickson on the She's a Great Lady final. Um, I don't have a whole lot more to add there. Uh, you kind of stole the one thing I was going to say, which was I hear Chris Ryder and Dexter Dunn you know, may have had a pretty good season with a horse last year, as you alluded to there with Party Girl Hill. So maybe this is their horse this year, four for four. And, um, you know, that start two back with us at the Meadowlands in that kindergarten series, I really liked her that night from post eight. And I said it yesterday on the show, and I'm still in awe that she was 1-20 to 20 that night, but I guess the money was right. Uh, she rolled on the victory, um, and she for sure looks to be one to be reckoned with. But again, Prohibition Legal, that perfect 6-for-6 six six record. And you know, they both like to have done it from the front end for the most part, so something we'll have to give here is those two um, likely to be skirmishing early on. Um, the one boudoir Hanover you mentioned, that was a nice second-place finish to Nikki Hill. And I also thought Queen of Success, um, a third-place effort to uh, Prohibition Legal in that elimination. Queen of Success, that was her first career loss. She's four for five lifetime, so definitely some good ones coming up here in the She's a Great Lady final for the two-year-old Phillies on Saturday night. But for me, top pick has to be Nikki Hill. Next, we have race seven. That's the Metro Pace final. That's the two-year-old open on the pace. $824,000 on the line. It's a field of 12. How do you think this one shakes out, Ken? Well, I went with a uh, six, a wearing my six-shooter. Dexter Dunn, Nancy Tactor. It's a Captain Treacherous Colt uh, on the board in five of six. A Pennsylvania Sire Stakes winner, 153. Second by neck to True Blue Lindy in that final. PA final at the the Meadows. Tactor also sends out the 12 market-based. So we like this uh, this one's consistency, the stocking style, the big kick, plus he retains uh, Dexter Dunn. Uh, the nine caviar Camden from the first crop of the world champion Huntsville doing well. Became the sport's fastest two-year-old ever. 148-3 world record at the Red Mile with Yannick Jingra. Then finished second to Pebble Beach in the Kentucky Sire Stakes final, but draws a, a tougher post here. Makes his third start off a vet scratch, one of three in this final for Tony Alanya, who uh, won this last year. He blew up the board with exploit at 35-1. to one. And the uh, eight true blue Lindy, we mentioned him, Team Culifer, a son of Always Be Mickey, five wins, two seconds, and seven starts. Uh, not bad. <laughs> Mark a 151-3 and three in Pennsylvania Sire Stakes. His uh, four-race winning streak includes the Dream Maker final Mohawk, so he knows the track and likes it. He just won the Pennsylvania Sire Stakes final, 152-1. and one. And We're expecting this gelding to fire off the wings for Tim Tetrick. So it's a 6-9-8 in the Metro pace. For me, I'm going with the eight. True Blue, True Blue Lindy does have that five for seven lifetime record, four wins in a row. And as you mentioned, it does include the Dream Maker final, so it does have some nice experience over this Mohawk surface. Um, came home in that night in 27 flat, final time of 51 and two, and he definitely will be leaving off of the gate. So post seven here, hopefully you shouldn't be too, or post eight rather, shouldn't be too much of a hindrance there. And Tim Tietrich will now pick up this assignment for the third time here after picking it up on um, the Pennsylvania Sire Stakes drives down at the Meadows. And Tim Tietrich having quite a week out there in Delaware, Ohio. So hopefully that will translate into a big night for him on Saturday and Woodby Mohawk as well. 
Um, the other horse, the only other one that you didn't mention that I will mention is the local hope, the five better have my money, who was four for four after winning the Battle of Waterloo on Industry Day at Grand River. And since then has come back a little disappointing, losing some Ontario Sire Stakes Gold Divisions, um, including that one effort when he was one to nine, finished fifth in the field of five, did have to come first up, but not a whole lot of excuses against that field. Um, comes back in the Nasagawea, finishing second, beaten only by a nose there to Bob Loblaw, as announcer Ken Middleton got to call home his own horse. Um, but, you know, then the third place finish in another Ontario Sire Stakes Gold Divisions. Better Have My Money is now a defeated favorite, three starts in a row after starting the career four for four. So we'll see if he can't get it back on track here. But for me, the top selection, the eight True Blue Lindy in the $800,000 Metro Pace. And Edison, I'm picking Nancy Tactor here, and I mentioned she has a couple in here. Uh, she won it in 2019 with a, a horse you might have heard of, uh, a tall, dark stranger, a track and stakes record of 149 and one. And Jimmy Tactor won this in 2011 with Simply Business, so there's some history here. Wearing my six-shooter. There is, yeah. Nancy will be looking for her second uh, Metro Pace in three years. And, uh, yeah, I think tall, dark stranger went on to – have an okay uh, uh, three-year-old season and rest of two-year-old season, I, I think. <laughs> so next time we'll move on to race nine. It is the big one, the $1 million Mohawk Million, two-year-old open on the trot. We have King of the North. We have Dover in Motion, Duly Resolved, The Mighty Hill, Venerable, Selfie Queen. Still could list all the rest of the field. I mean, this is a fantastic, fantastic Mohawk Million field. Yeah, it was a great idea. Each slot owner may enter their own horse or make arrangements with another owner to use the entry, plus a 10th spot is uh, w- awarded the uh, the winner of the William Wellwood, King of the North. Uh, last year, the inaugural Mohawk Million going to venerate post-10 Andrew McCarthy for Julie Miller. Uh, the slot owners had until noon Monday to declare their two-year-old trotter. So uh, we're looking for an, a slight upset here, the, uh, the Philly Venerable. Uh, the sensational Philly 7-for-7, seven seven, impressive in the peaceful way. New Jersey Sire Stakes champion, won the Jim Doherty in 152 here at the Meadowlands. Nifty Norman, Dave Miller, they may have one of the sport's next superstars. Uh, another gem from the stellar first crop of Walner, who can do no wrong. She has all the right tools, loads of upside. One of four Phillies in the race, by the way. Uh, the two king of the north, he was also a New Jersey Sire Stakes champion. A mark of 152-4. and four. Peter Houghton Memorial winner, 153-4. and four. Perfect trip, but drifting out from the same post in the Wellwood, 54-2. and two. So he's 5-6. for six. Mark McDonald, Ray Schnitger, they may have the one to beat here. If he can keep it straight in the stretch, he's a relentless son of the superstar first crop sire, Walner. He's, it is getting late in the season, though. We'll see. The 6 Dover in motion, undefeated 6-for-6 six six in Indiana. Trainer Jamie McCumber, who sports a mark of 154-1, and one, a brother to Swan in motion. From the first crop of the half-million-dollar winner, Dover Dan, this is a gelding here who consistently kicks home in 27 and change and faces his first serious test, but he certainly appears to be up to it. So it's a 9-2-6. Got some great notes on this race, Edison. Of course, Julie Miller won it last year. Uh, last year, Steve Stewart bred last year's winner. He, too, looks for a back-to-back with Venerable. Andy McCarthy won uh, the two richest races, of course, last year, and uh, he's got uh, Valentina Blue. Uh, the inside four posts, all trained by Hambo winning conditioner. Schnitger, Luke Blaise has a couple, and Tony Alanya. Uh, owner David McDuffie, he's he's certainly a candidate for owner of the year. Uh, he has v- venerable in this race. Uh, who's going to be the favorite? Uh, King of the North, Dover in motion, or venerable? We'll see. 
we also have brothers who have never gone one, two in the same million dollar race as drivers. James and Mark McDonald are, have a chance to do that. Uh, Dover and Motions won all six by a combined 27 and three quarters of a length. Uh, Venerable seven for seven by a combined 16 uh, lengths. Uh, we have uh, Venerable, if she wins, remains undefeated. It's deja vu for David McDuffie and Mel Hartman. They were also on the board with Be a Magician, 2013 unblemished sophomore filly who set the all-times earnings record for a single female trotting season surpassed by Moneymaker in the Moneymaker stake. Steve Stewart also bred such trotting standouts as Mission Brief, Trixton, Forbidden Trade. Now, if Venerable wins, Addison, she will close in on the all-time freshman filly mark for trotters in earnings, $1.3 million that was set in 2007 by the great Snow White. Now, if King of the North wins, he will set the all-time earnings record for a freshman trotting colt. And guess who he goes past? Dewey Cheatham and Howe, 2007. That was 936000 for the same barn. Ray Schnitker, King of the North, comes in at 601 in this uh, final. So lots on the line here, and I think it's uh, there. I've got to say this, Edison. There's a, several horses in here that just have, in my opinion, have no chance at all, or don't have a very, very good chance of winning. These these two, the top two and the top three, as a matter of fact, are just way too talented. Wow, thank you, Ken, for some really, really great info there on the Mohawk Million. Um, the the note that I'll take with me is that last one. That's a very interesting one. So, King of the North. So, if Ray Schnicker gets the job done with King of the North. The all-time freshman earnings for a, a Colt Trotter, and he will pass his own, Dewey Chiamanau, who, of course, came into the Hamiltonian as an undefeated three-year-old, and I suspect that we will be seeing some of them on this program page on that first Saturday next first Saturday in August next year at the Big M. But, uh, yeah, the, this is, I mean, just to talk about the records of this field, King of the North is 6-for-7, Dover in Motion is 6-for-6, six six, The Mighty Hill is 5-for-7, Dually Resolved is 5-for-8, Venerable 7-for-7, seven seven, and Selfie Queen is 5-for-8. So that is some really, really good two-year-olds. And you did mention it. We've mentioned it before on the show, but for our listeners um, listening in again, we'll, we'll just one more time mention that this is kind of a unique race in that nine of these slots were sold to owners who then are able to nominate their horses that they want to race for this million dollars. And then that 10th slot goes to the Wellwood winner, which was held two weeks ago, and that was King of the North who earned that spot um, on the starting gate. So that's how we got this field of 10. And, you know, Ken, I'll put you on the spot just because it's been discussed, and obviously it's got to include a win here, but venerable. If she keeps it going, is she a legitimate contender in the discussion for Horse of the Year? Uh, you know, it. I would say yes. Uh, she'd be in the con- certainly in the conversation, and and uh, the year's not over. Um, you know, we have the the Breeders' Crowns uh, and uh, and a few others, the Matrons and 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 whatnot. So, uh, yes, uh, we'll see how how she handles post nine and how she handles the competition. Uh, the main competition, King of the North and Dover in motion, maybe one other in that field, and that pretty much stands out. So, uh, yeah, we'll see if a uh, two-year-old trotting filly, uh, she's up against it, just being a two-year-old trotting filly as far as Horse of the Year goes. But uh, right now, uh, you know, she's cer- certainly, uh, if she wins, she's in the conversation. Yeah, it should be a, a fantastic uh, a race, and yes, she is 7-for-7, seven seven and obviously has to get the job done here. Breeders' Crown, 
Uh, the matron could be interesting because obviously that's a Dover Downs as a 5-8 mile track. So she has yet to experience kind of that smaller track. So it might be a little bit of a new test for her. And, you know, she's drawn very nicely post four or five in every start so far. Um, so it's also a bit of a new test for her tonight to have to deal with post nine. Um, so venerable seven for seven record on the line as she will try to keep it undefeated. I will pick her on top, though. King of the North, the obvious second selection. Um, six for seven, just that one little blemish, which came in that what would elimination beaten by Periculum. But nonetheless, he has just been in fantastic form. Um, I know coming up from the backside in the van with uh, Ray Schnicker after that New Jersey Sire Stakes win back on July the 16th at the Meadowlands. He was just super, super proud of him and I know expects big things from him in the future. And yeah, the sixth Dover in motion might be the interesting one because you alluded to the gambling side of this. It will be interesting to see which of those two ends up the favorite at post time. But then more importantly, what is the price on the sixth Dover in motion? That might be kind of the forgotten one. Um, he's kind of got a similar resume, has taken a lot of money, has been a super short price in each of his starts um, out there at Hoosier Park, and is a perfect six for six. Obviously, it's been against slightly lesser company, but nonetheless, um, I think he's a very solid third choice that should be respected on this board. So again, a fantastic, fantastic Mohawk moon coming up Saturday night. And who knows, maybe we'll see a big upset. Maybe someone else in this field will end up winning. But for me, I have to go with Venerable to keep the perfect record intact. So next, Ken, we'll talk race 10, $155,000 for the Pacers, Ontario Sire Stakes Gold Division for the three-year-old Colts and Geldings, and Bulldog Hanover, disappointed at 3-5 to five two weeks ago in that North America Cup. So will he bounce back here? Well, he certainly has a big chance to bounce back. Uh, I don't know if he was... Uh really 100% on his game uh, that night. He had a chance to rate a 55 and one half and then came up fourth best uh, in that million dollar final. A desperate man tripped out, uh, but he certainly earned it. And it was the mile of his life. 149 and three draws inside here. So uh, he's got a chance uh, from a better post to uh, work out another uh, stocking trip for uh, Trevor Henry. Uh, I think, uh, Bulldog might bounce back, and he certainly has the, uh, you know, that Jody Jamison did say after his elimination he was the best horse he's ever driven, and he's driven some pretty good ones. Uh, and he, he certainly looked uh, formidable uh, after his elimination and uh, looked like uh, he was certainly a deserving favorite. I don't know if he was uh, that much of a favorite in the in the North America Cup, but uh, let's see if he bounce backs, bounces back, I should say. Uh, but Desperate Man, uh, certainly uh, going in the right direction as well. I like his 25-4 and four, uh, in his uh, North America Cup elimination and then comes back to win the final uh, with a perfect drive by Trevor Henry. Great, a great story here, uh, the uh, the bargain basement yearling and the uh, small, uh, you know, small connections uh, to take a, such a big race. So it's a great story behind the horse, and uh, I think he has a chance to beat Bulldog again. Yeah, you know, in my opinion, just because of some of the races Bulldog has done in my time here covering Wood by Mohawk, um, especially it's now out of the program pages, but it was July the 8th in an Ontario Sire Stakes event. Um, he, he was from post 10, parked out for life, three wide down the backstretch, never saw a pylon, and he still ends up winning the race and coming home in 26-1. and one. So Bulldog Hander was just put together some incredible, incredible miles and may still be arguably the better horse over Desperate Man, but... Bulldog or Desperate Man has gotten the job done when it matters, winning at Georgian Downs in a big Ontario Sire Stakes event, beating Lawless Shadow and Bulldog Hanover, and then, of course, winning the North America Cup. So, although 
Desperate Man only has two wins this year compared to Bulldog Hanover 6. Desperate Man has made over 600000 Bulldog Hanover just over 400000 So Desperate Man has been getting it done when it matters. But nonetheless, Bulldog Hanover will look for a little bit of redemption here over Desperate Man. And I will take Bulldog Hanover to beat Desperate Man here. But Power Train, definitely one that can't be overlooked as well. This one coming off of a nice open win after the qualifier and a couple weeks off. Has four wins this year from nine starts. So maybe that's the third one to throw in underneath um, here in this Ontario Sire Stakes Gold event. So, Ken, final race we'll discuss. Race 11, a small but select field for the preferred pace, $34,000 on the line. And how do you see this one going? Well, this is uh, this is kind of a, a toss-up here. And uh, I, I kind of like uh, Century Pharaoh uh, to uh, rebound off his uh, sixth-place finish in the uh, Mohawk Gold Cup against Alleywag uh, in the 48-1 uh, Mohawk Gold Cup. Uh, I just think this horse is uh, a lot better than that race uh, looks, and I think he has a chance to to bounce back in this field. Uh, War We Vital uh, has been really, really good up there at uh, Mohawk. He had won, uh, what, four or five prior to his uh, third-place finish and a solid third in the Mohawk Gold Cup. Uh, so uh, Century Farrell uh, to rebound off a sixth-place finish for uh, Dr. Ian Moore and Sylvain Filion. Well, we've seen it a lot, especially in the recent form line for where we vital. So I will take him on top, but he is what I would like to consider a a liability type of a horse in the sense that you kind of know exactly what he needs. If you look at those form lines, the most recent start in that Gold Cup doesn't get the lead, never really factors in the finish. Start before, gets the lead right down the road. Start before, gets away fifth from the rail, never really factors. Race before, gets the lead before the half, down the road to victory. Start before that. Same deal, right to the top, down the road to victory, start before that, gets away third, and never really factors in the finish. So it's very clear that this is the kind of horse that needs that front end, so he might have to work here with Trevor Henry to get it, but in this field of six, I think he will be able to cross him before that first turn, and hopefully from there he'll just continue down the highway, so I will take where we vital on top, and I'll take the one wheels on fire, possibly underneath that second one. Um, from the rail, probably going to get a similar trip to the Mohawk Gold Cup, probably going to get away a second behind where we vital, and if they just go one, two the whole way around the track, I would call that a pretty good exacta. <laughs> so that, that covers our Saturday evening action at Woodbine Mohawk. Uh, this is again for Saturday, September 25th, 2021. Mohawk Million Night, million dollars on the line in race nine, and plenty of other large purses. I believe, Ken, I believe you are correct. I believe that is the biggest purse night of the year at Woodbine Mohawk. If not, it's definitely one of the top two or three. And it should be a fantastic, fantastic 12-race card. Um, and again, as always, you can go to woodbine.com backslash mohawk backslash free hyphen programs to get your free program for this coming Saturday for that Woodbine Mohawk card. Um, before we wrap it up here, Ken Warkinton, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. My pleasure, and we look forward to another great weekend of uh, harness racing at the top level uh, at uh, Woodbine at Mohawk Park. And Ken, I guess we could kind of do this together, but I'll let you do the honors a little bit of promoting for our track that we both work at for the Meadowlands racing schedule um, this coming week. And then also, uh, I talked a little bit about yesterday, but uh, share the Breeders' Crown news and updates with the fans as well. Yes, the uh, final two weekends of uh, October, there are five weekends in October, uh, we're going to, I guess you would say, share the stage with uh, Monmouth at Meadowlands Turf Racing being at night. Uh, and we are going to race actually uh, the two Fridays, 
the two Fridays at 6.15 p.m., so post time for uh, the last two Fridays in October, 6.15, and then we're going to come back at 12 noon, so kind of a Hamiltonian day card feel on those two Saturdays, the eliminations and finals of the uh, Breeders' Crowns. So uh, I'm kind of looking forward to that. Uh, It it puts us in a different sort of uh, slot, time slot. Uh, It also opens us up for the uh, the foreign markets as well to uh, watch and wager on us. So uh, yeah, that's uh, that's what we're doing. And uh, we're dark as far as harness racing is concerned the first three weekends of October when the uh, Monmouth Thoroughbreds come in and uh, race at 7 p.m. So uh, we're kind of looking forward to a little bit of a break. And then we'll come back with the uh, year-end championship races, the Breeders' Crowns at the Meadowlands this year. So we have racing this Friday and Saturday at the Big M. 12 races both nights, some kindergarten series on Friday night. Um, First post time both nights, 6.20 p.m. And then right as you mentioned, I'll just reiterate, we are dark for three weeks. And then Breeders' Crown Elimination Week, Friday, October 22nd at 6.15 p.m., October 23rd, the Saturday at noon. And then we come back for the finals on Friday, October 29th at 6.15 p.m. And then the Breeders' Crown finals on Saturday will be at 12 noon, Saturday, October 30th. And you know, I said it last night on the show, Ken, I am with you. I think that you have a lot of European viewers that enjoy watching the Breeders' Crown, so we'll give them the opportunity for sure to watch it in a more reasonable time window for them. And also, on the Thoroughbred side, it's the week before the Breeders' Cup. It's a pretty light Thoroughbred schedule. So I think there will be quite some eyes um, and wagering dollars looking to the Meadowlands on that Breeders' Crown weekend. Absolutely. You you know, the sun always shines on the Meadowlands. I learned that a long, long time ago. Uh, And you've always got to, uh, uh, you know, accentuate the positive. And that, as you just mentioned, and as I mentioned, uh, I think that it's it's different, but I think it's also going to put us uh, in a good spotlight uh, for uh, horse racing uh, betters, the gamblers, on a Saturday afternoon when we get a chance to showcase our stars. Well, once again, we will look forward to that at the end of next month. Ken Warkton, thank you once again for joining us here today, and I will see you... Gosh, I keep thinking it's like Wednesday or Tuesday. I guess I will see you tomorrow night as we go um, again at the Meadowlands for our last weekend before a couple weekends of rest before the Breeders' Crown. For all of our listeners out there, if you happen to listen to this immediately here after we're done recording, um, good luck if you're wagering in a little brown jug, which is currently about three hours away or so from the final. Um, Best of luck if you're wagering at the Meadowlands this weekend at Woodbine Mohawk or any other track you may be wagering at. We will wish you the best of luck in all your wagers, and we'll talk to you next time on First Over with Edison Hatter.